The world has changed. I can feel it in the dice. I feel it in the character sheets. I smell it in the books. Much that once was is lost, for none now gain who remember it. Welcome to The One Podcast, a show all about the One Ring and experiencing Middle-earth through gaming, with your hosts, J.M., Richard, Ben, Calvin, and Chris. Well, welcome to The One Podcast. Tonight we are not recording from the Green Dragon Inn, but are instead on the road, um, bringing you tales of new lands of adventure. Our fellowship for tonight is myself and Calvin and Richard. Good evening. West to Hall. Uh, and uh, gentlemen, so let's start off with kind of how we normally do. How has your week in gaming been? Well, I played an awesome session of Numenera Monday night. And let's see what happened of note. Um, after all of the genocide of last Numenera session, <laughs> this one was comparatively tame. But we're at a place called the City of Mirrors. And there are individuals coming in through, from what I assume, are sort of parallel universes. So we met a supervillain and his mob. Um, also yes. cut up what was either a kaiju or Barney the dinosaur. That wasn't entirely clear. I'm going and, with, with kaiju. Just Okay, okay. I, I really like kaiju better, but you said it was a dinosaur, but it was purple and it tasted like cinnamon. So, so. <laughs> Calvin, do you have any gaming going on this week? I have not done any gaming since we uh, last recorded. It's been a busy week of other things. I will, I will also say that I should be getting in the mail tomorrow uh, via the Amazon fairies um, the uh, two books from the third edition Victoriana set, which a little, little cubicle seven love. And I may be, once I've, I've had a couple of weeks with the books, I may be writing up a review for that and to put on the, the one podcast website for those of you who are interested in other cubicle sevens, which aren't tour. Um, but I have to say from just glancing over the PDFs, JM, it seems like they've that like they've gone the route of making everything extremely historically grounded um to the point of um doing all the world exposition from uh via people like charles darwin and sir arthur conan doyle writing articles for basically explaining this is why this is this way in the world we had Um, a we had a long discussion today about why i'm not a fan of that uh genre in general uh and it comes down to a lack of historical grounding so (laughs) it seems to be all right, yes. all right. I look forward to your. I look so, forward to your so review. I will. I will be. I will. Yeah. I'll let you know how it is. Excellent. So, uh, how about you? Any gaming on your side, Jam? Well, in addition to running uh, a Numenera game on Monday, uh, that involved kaiju and a supervillain, I had a a one shot of the One Ring on Saturday that went from a one shot that had to be done by seven thirty to people canceling their plans to people wanting to play more. So I was like, well, I don't have any more. Let's just make characters. And we finished that at 10. And they wanted to immediately start with their new characters. And, and what were you running, JM? I just ran the Marshbell, <laughs> uh, which is just, you know, personally, I enjoy the Marshbell as an, as an intro to tour adventure. But I think I'm going to take them through Tales before uh, we go into Darkening. Question about the Marshbell. Do you know the Tolkien poem that it is based on? Uh, you have shared it with me. Okay. It's from, right. uh, isn't it from uh, Tom Bombadil? Um, it's 
There is a version of it in Tom Bombadil, but the original poem was something Tolkien wrote when he was very young, basically to make fun of romantic poetry, like like po- poetry from the romantic movement, that is. Right, and, not, um, not necessarily romance. Right, right. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's quite fun. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, uh, and then I've been doing a lot of prep work. I'm going to be up at uh, a convention next week, and that's actually where Christopher is tonight. He's doing his prep work. Ooh. I'm going to be running... Uh, a lot of sessions of Dragon Kings uh, using the Cypher system to see kind of oh. how it handles uh, kind of a generic Conan-esque fantasy. And I got my copy of No Thank You Evil by Monty Cook Games. My son and I, he, my son came home at, he and, he and my wife were out on uh, a trip and they came back Sunday afternoon. And by the time at four, and by the time my son went to bed at seven thirty, we had played through two adventures of No Thank You Evil. Uh, he's going to be four here in a couple of months, and he loves it. It is it is light. It is it scales well. Um, we're going to actually see how it scales with multiple age groups at the same table here soon. Ooh. But because apparently that's one of the things you can do. You can have kids playing at multiple tier, you know, multiple levels of difficulty. Yeah. Um, but, and then my wife played a game with us. We've played five or six adventures. And the nice thing is they're all designed to be like a half hour. So just like perfect, perfect attention attention span. span. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, no, thank you. Evil, uh, should be out in stores here soon. And if you want a gateway drug for your, your young kids into role playing. I mean, I've been teaching tears of Pathfinder, but I guess we would try that. (laughs) Uh, before this, Zane's first character was an axe, so uh, <laughs> maybe we push, but it's because we love. Um, <laughs> so uh, tonight we have a, a episode that we're all really excited about, and to kind of introduce it, Richard has a poem prepared that we're just going to let him jump right into. Where come mer? Where come magu? Quercom madum yefa, quercom simbla yesetu, quer sindun celadreamas, eala berch buna, eala pirn wiga, eala feodnes trim, hu seo prag yewat, yanap under nichtem, swa heo nahuere. Now, for those of you. Uh, who are not fluent. That is, where is the horse? Where right. is the young rider? Where is the gift giver? Where are the seats at the feasting table? Where are the sounds of merriment? Alas, the bright cup. Alas, the shining mail. Alas, the king's glory. Their time has all gone. Dark under night's helm, as if it were never, as if it never were. And that is, but- of course, the poem which um, Tolkien adapts somewhat, changes in several very, actually quite interesting ways, and uh, and then has Aragorn recite um, as a lament for Eorl the Young in The Two Towers. Yes, and we will actually have to have a discussion on Tolkien and poetry, because uh, you have explained to me kind of the the changes that he made, and yes. it kind of feeds into the whole trans- transition from uh, one type of age into another but that we will save for our tolkien and poetry episode tonight we are talking about horse lords of rohan the new newest uh supplement for the one ring 
And and I I should just say, J.M. Uh, that that poem uh, that's an excerpt from an Anglo-Saxon poem called The Wanderer, and the whole thing is is quite nifty and worth checking out if you want to get sort of get in the mood for the horse and the uh, for the horse lords of Rohan. We will have a uh, a ton of supplementary material in this episode for you to uh, go out and check out for getting in the mood for running the Horse Lords of Rohan. And that was just the first taste. So, Horse Lords of Rohan, um, let's just get right into it because uh, my wife just asked me before we sat down to do this, you know, what did I think of the book we were reviewing? And I've just got to tell you guys, I think this is the best supplement that Cubicle 7 has done. Maybe tied for the best supplement. It's still still kind of up in the air. What are your what are your initial thoughts of this of this product? I would have a hard time picking between Horse Lords of Rohan and Rivendell for best supplement. Um, but I will say the reason that I would have a hard time with that is is because the Rivendell has just a completely legit song mechanic, which is Oh, that is true. which is wonderful and also magical treasure. I mean magical treasure, but but um, I mean, this is a tremendous book. I, I sat down and I think I read the whole thing in about five or six hours, just like just devoured it because I was so excited. And it's definitely one we've been waiting for for a while. Calvin, what about you? What are your initial thoughts on it? Uh, it's fantastic. Uh, yeah, I don't really have much to add to what <laughs> you guys said. All right, well, let's get into it. Um, it is a 160 page PDF. And one thing that I've said kind of consistently through my reading of this is it's kind of hard to believe that it's only 160 pages because the amount of information that they, they put into this PDF, it does not actually just cover Rohan. It also covers Fangorn, Isengard, and Dunlin in addition to Rohan. And we're going to kind of go over each of the sections kind of talk a little bit about them, why you might want to get this. But let's let's look at the time period first. Richard, kind of where are we at in the in the legendarium here? So in the setting, essentially we are looking at the reign not of Theoden. Uh, so by the time by the time we meet when most of us uh, meet the horse lords of Rohan for the first time, we meet them under the rule of King Theoden, Thangle's son. This setting is set at about the year 2960 in the third age and so that means that Theoden or, or Theoden's father Thangle uh, uh, is a young man so he's just starting his reign and in fact Theoden is in this book um, as quite or in the supplement as a as a young boy as of about eight or ten and so basically what you get is a here's the previous generation and so there are a lot of fun, if you pay attention to the names of the different lords of the mark and things like that, there are a lot of fun little uh, places in this book where you can read through and be like, oh, this guy is Elfhelm's dad. Oh, uh, uh, you know, you know, th- th- this this guy is going to be Erkenbrand's father. Erkenbrand is, is a kid in this and, you know, things like that. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you get this really fun, here's the previous generation. And something that I like that this book touches on that a lot of people sort of forget is that Theoden is actually, um, his, his mother is from Gondor. So he's not even, you know, full blood 
you know, a full blood um, uh, uh, Aorling. Um, his mother is is from Rohan, and that's something that's touched on in the appendices, but it's not it's not as uh, in as much in the foreground in the two towers itself, and it's something that's easy to forget about. And so this sort of this sort of brings all of that in and says, okay, there is some political and uh, uh, social tension going on here because you have a a new king who spent a lot of time in a foreign land, Gondor, but from the foreign land. So a lot of people have, have this question in their mind, you know, is Thangol going to be a good king? Is he going to be a good leader of Rohan? Like how much, how much Gondor is, is in him? Is, is he one of us? And uh, that, that sets you up for a lot of really good uh, political tension, um, which I think is a, it is a strong selling point of the supplement and of this, the, the sort of stories I would, I would tell um, in a, in a Rohan campaign would definitely involve that, you know, the favor of the King and, uh, people moving in and out of it, but also the king moving in and out of favor with, with his, his marshals. Well, and that's something that I really kind of liked uh, that kind of stood out to me about the supplement is that, you know, over the, or uh, the one ring and the kind of the books that we've seen so far, they've built into a knowledge of the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings. Horse Lords, I feel, relies a lot on the appendices, hmm. uh, just in the history and the fact that you know, most of these most of these people are are dead and gone by the time we you know, we travel to Rohan and Lord of the Rings. Well, part of it, so, part of it is that they're just you know sort of much more short lived than, than some right, of the other. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, in uh in the Hobbit, you have you know dwarves and one extremely long lived Hobbit and the elves. And here, yeah, you're dealing with the races of men. Um, so each of the, we'll start with Rohan and just kind of give you a brief overview and kind of our thoughts on it. There's been a lot of time in the main rule book and then in Heart of the Wild and in Rivendell giving you descriptions of those areas. And mm -hmm. one of the, they're covering four, four broad regions here. And each of these sections starts off with just advice on how to describe the lands and how they differ from what you may be used to in your tour campaign. And the one that really stands out for me in describing Rohan is that Rohan is a realm of men. You will still have dangers, you will still have threats, but this is not Wilderland. This is not orcs and wargs and trolls. Uh, this is much more as Richard said, there's a lot more politics involved in here. One of the lines is, the, um, you know, an enemy in Rohan might be the overmastering pride that blinds a noble or the treacherous advice of a counselor. Um, the shadow is much subtler in Rohan, less overt, at least at this time. So, gentlemen, let's start with you, Calvin. What was your what was your impression of the region of Rohan? Well, one thing that I really liked in this is, well, one thing I noticed in general about the book is that compared to some of the other books, there's not a huge amount of art. Hmm. And you get mostly like third page or smaller pieces of art spread throughout the book, but you can go three or four pages really without a piece of art. But right here at the beginning of the section on Rohan, you have this 
full-page piece, and it's the only full-page piece I could find outside of the cover, <laughs> uh, of the Capitol. And so you really get a very good visual. You know, it's it's plains but hills, and, you know, it's mm. – mm-hmm. It's subtly varied throughout, and uh, I, I liked that description, and I, I liked the fact that they put this piece of art right at the beginning to get your mind set with what you were going to go through for the rest of this. I, uh, I don't know if I had picked up the, the lack of, you know, the, uh, that that was one of the sole pieces of full-page art. Um, that might be how they packed so much that's awesome true. Stuff into 150 pages. <laughs> it really is. I mean, and even even then, the economy of the writing, uh, it doesn't sacrifice. It does not sacrifice descriptiveness for succinctness. Like, I mean, it is it is flavorful. It's descriptive. There's just a lot of it. Um, Richard, what about you? What were what were your kind of thoughts on on Rohan? Um, well, I was actually going to start out by calling attention to the freaking amazing maps of Meduseld and Helm's Deep. Um, but since since that's sort of been done, let me just say they're, they're more than maps. They're gorgeous paintings, and I love them to death. Um, they're, the stuff that really stands out to me, I would say, first of all, is the personalities involved. I mean, these are these are personalities really straight out of a Norse saga, like, like an Icelandic saga. Um, and I, um, I think the toast actually did this awesome article today, which was how do you know if you're in an Icelandic saga? Um, a really major theme in stories of this kind. And, and just to kind of give a little background, the Rohiric language, which you encounter in the two towers and in the return of the King is actually a dialect of Anglo-Saxon called West Mercian, um, which Tolkien was, kind of an expert in and which he liked very much. In fact, he, he writes, wrote some very nifty annals of what we would now consider the Silmarillion material. He wrote it out in Anglo-Saxon chronicle annal form, and he wrote it in straight West Saxon and then again in Mercian. And it's, it's quite cool. And it's, it's actually really good Anglo-Saxon composition as well. So the, the culture of the, the culture of Rohan is somewhat based on Anglo-Saxon culture, and of course you, uh, but it's it's just sort of this Northern Germanic culture, this this idea of a society that is that is centered around the Mead Hall and has these very Northern heroic ideas about the concepts of battle and what is a good death. But they're also based very very heavily on the Goths. Uh, Tolkien liked the Goths quite a bit, not not the Goths with the 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 you know, black nail tight polish pants. and tight pants, and not even the Goths who made all the sweet cathedrals, not those Goths. We're talking sacked Rome Goths. The Goths were a, a you know, very, very powerful military force, specifically because they had um, great success as breeders and riders of horses, and uh, they were an extremely effective cavalry force. That's all, all of that to say, the stories that we have about these kinds of people, the, the Anglo-Saxon stories, obviously the Norse sagas, um, the little bit that we know from Roman history about cultures like the Goths, these are very proud cultures. People are very much on their honor, as we would say. 
And as a result, that a lot of the tension in stories tends to revolve around tension um, in terms of honor. Who should you serve? So there's this there's a story in, in Beowulf um, mm-hmm. called the fight at Finsburg. And the tension that's there is that Hengist, his his lord has been killed in battle and he has been essentially forced by his circumstances to swear loyalty to Finn, who was the enemy of his lord. And so all throughout this winter, he has a difficult decision about, is he going to continue the feud, which is his duty as the servant of his previous lord, or is he going to acknowledge the new duty that he has sworn to his new lord? And eventually he chooses the former, and he kills Finn and burns the hall down. The, the point is that Tolkien conceived these people, and I think the supplement does such a great job of these are very proud people. They're very much on their honor, but they're also people who are very, very keen on the idea that you have duties that society expects you to fulfill to your to your liege lord, but also to your clan and to your family. And I think what this supplement does so well in the Rohan section is it gives you opportunities and hooks, really, to create situations where characters have to choose between their lord and their clan, or between their allegiance to their lord and doing what is right, or between, you know, allegiance mm-hmm. to their lord and their love, and something like that. And it gives you opportunities for them to meet lore master characters who are dealing with this tension and to help them in one direction or the other. I think that can make for some really fabulous storytelling. Excellent. Well, it actually brings up a, uh, one of the things that I was going to say um, about supplementary sources. If you if you want to get inside Tolkien's head as it relates to the Rohirrim, in a lot of ways, I would highly recommend Tolkien's Beowulf. As Richard said, you have a heroic culture. You have it based around a mead hall. I mean, even the fact that Unferth in Beowulf is Tolkien talks about him being a worm tongue, uh, an advisor to the king. I mean, there's there is a ton in there to kind yep. of help give you a base reference for you know, even an idea. Like Beowulf yeah. would translate very well, just drop it right into Rohan. If you, if you look at Beowulf's approach to um, um, Hrothgar's Hall, and then you look Herat, and then you look at Aragorn's approach mm-hmm. to Theoden's Hall, Medusald, there you can you can line up the scenes like one by one, yeah. and it is truly amazing. Like Beowulf in general, just as a poem, is the Rosetta Stone to Tolkien's legendarium I'm convinced. Well, Calvin, uh, do you have any thoughts or both? I was just going to I was going to just tail off of uh what was said about the the people. So, you know, you mentioned earlier that we, you know, we do have um Theoden as a child here and I really like that they put in a little sidebar next to the write-up on Theoden that talked about his sisters who are just briefly mm. mentioned as mm, existing yeah. Yeah. in the book. And no details given to them. And then they lay out, well, this is who we're going to say that they are. But in such a way that you as a lore master could look at that and, you know what, I want to change how this is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they give you something that's not there, obviously, in the original, but then do it in such a way that it's very clear that you could tweak this, throw it away, use do something totally different. And it, it was just a nice touch. Yeah. Now... All of what we have just discussed would be enough to fill up an entire supplement. Yet there's still more to this to this one. Uh, Calvin, so why don't you give us an introduction into Fangorn? Okay, so the next section, obviously, is the Forest of Fangorn. Um, and so here, 
we have starts off slightly differently than the first section where you know people might be a little more familiar with Rohan the actual history behind Fangorn is spread throughout Tolkien's works quite a bit more and so we get a long history of the Ents and Fangorn Forest uh the Entwives, the Ent Draughts that uh, that are given to the Hobbits, um, and mm-hmm. as well as some potential mechanical things that could be done if characters actually go into Fangorn and are able to make friends with the Ents, uh, and you know, then standard description of the people and just really a lot of detail here. I mean, for something that in the books at least is so briefly seen, mm. you know, other than just a looming force off in the distance and don't go in there, there is a huge amount of detail here that can be used and woven into your stories. Yeah, Richard, so what about you? Okay, so I will admit that Fangorn for me was the hardest part of the book from a legendarium perspective. Um, I kept reading the there would be sections of it that would sort of not eh, i'm not going to say not sit right and i don't think there's anything here that's sort of directly contradictory but they're definitely filling in a lot of gaps and um Mm -hmm. and uh things like i'm having trouble thinking of the specific things now but just things like well if you went adventuring in fangorn here's how it would be done and I just, I, I mean, the answer, answer so hard to pin down, and I would want to try really hard to do them well. You know, one of the things that it brings up in this book is the, you know, like it brings up a couple of different times. You know, everybody in Rohan makes a big deal that nobody's ever seen or heard of a Hobbit. So, what do you do if you have a Hobbit in your group? Um, and this is gonna, I mean, your One Ring is going to vary. So, you know, it's, <laughs> it is, it is totally up to the lore master to make the decision of how closely he is going to hone to Tolkien's canon. Personally, I would not, I would not have hobbits showing up in a Rohan campaign at all, like as an option. Um, I would, if we had a a player who was playing a hobbit, I would say, you know, maybe your hobbit needs to go, let's talk about this. Let's figure out some other options. Maybe your hobbit needs to go visit his family for a couple of years or something. And, and Hey, if Ben's hobbit just, insists on going to Rohan, then he's eaten by wargs at the border. Right. It happens, you know, it's just stuff like that happens. But the, but the, the the things I really do hear like here, um, the, when it really, if I can say grew on me, um, 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 I like, I like skin bark quite a bit. Um, I actually really like the bear. I just like bears. Games need more bears. So why don't you tell? Why don't you go into a little bit of detail there? Yeah. So Skinbark is uh, sort of a suggestion as a patron. Um, is that uh, Skinbark might have? You know, he might be. You know. Uh, so so for reference, Skinbark is one of the oldest ants in the forest. Um, he, um, right up there with Treebeard, and uh, essentially the what the the supplement puts forth forth is that uh, Skinbark or or Fladrif in the language of the elves, is very uneasy about the situation brewing in Orthanc. And he might be willing to find some younger, hastier folk who wander into Fangorn and uh, sort of give them a mission of 
finding out what Saruman is up to and also spying on the doings of orcs. And to me, that seems that seems like a pretty plausible thing. I'm, I, I think I think my reaction, honestly, JM, came from I had just literally just finished reading The Two Towers. And I was like, well, but nobody knows, like, you know, we can't go into Fangor. Nobody's ever been into Fangor. Nobody knows anything about Fangor. Obviously, your game is going to be different. I'm, I'm not trying to be down on a really great section. Um, but I, I felt like, you know what, if you if you wander into the edges of Fangor, Skinbark, and you end up getting Skinbark as a patron, that could actually be pretty interesting, especially when the whole Saruman side of things comes in. Right, and one of the things that, I mean, I definitely saw it as your Middle Earth may vary, which is a is a term that's at the front of most uh, Glorantha pro- right, products right, that your Glorantha right. will vary. But I kind of saw it as, or the way I would run it, especially with Skinbark or my personal fam- favorite Wormwood, who is who is a who is an end who delights in in tragedy and tales of fallen heroes. I just <laughs> I was like, there's an end you want to meet in the woods. The ends there hasn't been an end moot in in such a long time that you could almost have these other ends like Skinbark or Wormwood uh, interacting with with parties and Treebeard would not necessarily know about it until the okay. end moot. I am actually really glad you said end moot because that is the thing that bugged me. I remember it now. The, um, the the encounters for Edmoot? Yeah, there was like, here are mechanics for holding an Edmoot. And I'm like, okay, it's sort of cool that you included that. But Treebeard really specifically says, there haven't been Edmoots in like a really long time. And this is somebody who's literally been around since time. So like, if he says a really long time, you know, I feel like it's been more than a generation of men. So I, I think like that was where I was like, okay, I, I and again, your game is your canon, not Tolkien's canon, mm-hmm. and I and I get that. But I would have a like it would be a hurdle for me to be like, like okay, all the ants are getting together for an ant loop, guys. It's going to be just like the books. That might actually be really cool for your players. And if it isn't, <clears throat> you like it, that's great. But like I just I kind of had a reaction to that. Well, and mine mine that I reacted like that is in Isengard. So we should say at this point is that they do give you a lot of options, and totally. I think from a gaming perspective. They are completely plausible options that players would want to have happen in a game mm-hmm. that they try to provide some guidance for you on. Entmoots being one, a Hobbits and Rohan being another. Like I knew there was one we talked about earlier. One thing that I wanted to bring up that I missed in my earlier going throughs, uh, probably my favorite little subsection of this was when they talked about the Ents and what they did in the forest, and the weeding. Yes. I read that, yes. and I'm like, weeding? What? And then you read into it, and weeding is not weeding as we would describe it, but yeah. getting rid of unscrupulous other beings, like orcs, or evil That's men, true. or things like that from the forest. And then the fact that they included that as a possible fellowship phase activity just yes made me yeah, very happy. Yep, yep, yep. As soon as I read that, uh, just instantly in my mind is that is that scene in the Two Towers, uh, the movie where the orc is just like throws his hands up and the end just squashes him. And I'm like, 
All right. Well, let's move into, uh, if that wasn't enough, we still have two more sections to cover. Uh, the, what is called the folk with no Kings. And this is a presentation of Dunlin. And one of the things that I really liked about this section is you, you kind of pick up on it to a degree that the Dunlin may actually have a legitimate beef with the Rohirrim. Legitimately, when they say, hey, these guys kicked us out of our, our lands, it's because they kicked, they kicked them out of their lands. Yeah. And they present the Dunlin folk not as, not as an inherently evil race. They're not like the orcs. They're not, they're men. And like any, like any man in middle earth, they have free will and the, the, the choice to fall under shadow or to resist. And so that presents a really fascinating land and people to play. Yeah. And I would say Tolkien was very, very aware of the possible tension here. And he hints at it a bit in the two towers, but um, you know, Tolkien's not interested in just presenting this ethnocentric narrative of the Rohirrim are awesome. Like, Especially if you look at the appendices, the Dunlendings do really have some legitimate beefs with Rohan and vice versa. And there's some good opportunities here for some uh, very nuanced storytelling. Yes. Now, they do present, uh, again, we're leading up to the years of the Lord of the Rings. So kind of the, the big patron and looming figure in the lands of Dunlin is Saruman the White. Um, Saruman's a great guy. We love him. That's right. He keeps telling me so, and I keep walking away believing him. Uh, <laughs> what were your thoughts on Dunlin? Dunlin is definitely the, I'm going to say, least meaty of the sections, it, and that's nothing bad at all. It's just uh, it gets fewer pages than some of the other regions for probably reasonable reasons. Uh, but what you get is sort of a, here's a historical, you know, portrait or, or snapshot of their interactions with Rohan. And then essentially what you get is a pretty big gap. You know, who are the Dunlendings? Are they a single people? Are they full people? You know, how exactly, you know, who exactly are they? Where exactly did they come from? Um, and as it says, on page 86, most of these things are lost to the myth of, mists of time. Um, there's not a lot of hints about them, but what we do know is that they are people who have been sort of alternately antagonistic with, and then sometimes uh, sometimes friendly with the, the mark. Um, but quite interestingly, there are quite a few people, and this is, this is a very nice touch. This is a very, I think, a, a very realistic touch there are quite a few people who have both Dunlending and Aorling ancestry. You know, they can kind mm, of claim mm-hmm. it on both sides. And they're sort of hated by by the, the, the pure blood. And um, again, really interesting storytelling, really just begging to be done there, I think. Um, beyond that, I, I really like the characters in this. I, I had two or three ideas for stories just, just reading through it. I think there's some some great opportunities. Um, and then of course, of course um, it's a very nice segue into the Isengard section. So, yeah, I, uh, the, 
the NPCs in this section really stood out to me um, mm-hmm. with a lot of adventure seed potential in there. What yeah. about you, Calvin? For me, this was the section that I had the hardest time with. You know, if okay. if there was a section in here that was my least favorite, this was it. Um, but it's you know, it's a very small section. It's not it's not something that has been a major part of any of the you know the main Tolkien stories, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's more side fluff than main fluff, and it just didn't strike me as well as as much as the other sections. Um, okay. The the NPCs, the hazards were fantastic as they are in all the sections. As a counterpoint to that, this might be an area where some lore masters kind of want to write into the gap a little bit. Like they might like the fact that, that, you know, this isn't a major part of any Tolkien stories. So, you know, we can use it for ourselves. Hmm. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. Well, that brings us to the last section. And this is, I had one little bit of legendarium itch in uh, the section on Isengard, much like uh, Richard had with Fangorn. Um. Uh, just yeah. to be clear, are we taking the podcast to Isengard? We are taking the podcast to Isengard. We're taking uh, the podcast to Isengard. I am uh, trying to set Richard on fire with my mind. It's just not working. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, as you may have deduced, this is the section um, on Saruman the White. Um kind of really before he takes like they they kind of outline their uh ideas of where these key points where saruman really starts to descend from the path that he he was supposed to be on which i actually found interesting like like looking at the fact that all right you know what when he breeds half men that's a pretty damning step yeah, I feel like I feel like you've crossed some kind of a line there. Yeah, um, but you know, he, players are heroes, and I and again, going back to kind of what Richard said about Fangorn, uh, I realize that they are providing options for a variety of different styles of games. But trying to prevent Saruman's fall uh, is actually a, a called out as a call box, and while I like that it's an option there for me, it was just like no that. That stretches the rubber band of canon a little too far for me. So, but yeah, I, I think you definitely have to know with the One Ring or with any licensed IP, right? How close to or far from do you want to stay from canon? Right. And uh, knowing your line is important when you're starting to plan the game so that you make sure that you don't offer your players the opportunities to go places you don't want to go. Right. And I mean, that's something in all honesty that could be covered at the start of a tour campaign and say, Hey, here's how close we're going to hew to Canon. Here's how far. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, if you have people coming over from like D 20 fantasy, where the general mindset is we are the heroes and we can, we can save anyone. Yeah. Um, I did, however, so, the, oh, go, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was just going to say sort of, sort of along those lines, um, a question, a question that would come up 
I think quite plausibly for my campaign, um, especially if and when we get a supplement detailing uh, Lothlorien, is can can the group go to Lothlorien? Well, Legolas says that nobody from Mirkwood has been to Lothlorien in generations. So, I mean, you know, we ha we have a wood elf in our group. So, can we go to Lothlorien? My answer is no. Um, my answer is, you know, we've got plenty of other places that we can continue to explore. If you really want to do Lothlorien, let's do a Lothlorien campaign. Mm -hmm. um, so that's just uh, on on the flip side. How would I feel about leading, a, you know, a group from Lothlorien who is headed to Dol Guldur for some secret mission? Maybe, maybe a little more, maybe a little more room to fudge on that. But, but again, I, there's, you know, you you. You're butting up against some fairly distinct things, which which are said in Tolkien's works. So. Yeah. Yeah. Now, see, that's all. I, oh, I think I'm very much on the opposite end of that spectrum. Um, you know, I have a very large background in Star Wars gaming, and I have no problem treading on canon. And once the game starts, nothing's holy. Nothing's off limits. Uh, if if it gets presented in the game. If the lore master takes you to that place, then it's an option. It's an option. If the if if it is something that should be beyond that, then you shouldn't even get close to it. That being said, you should totally get your fellowship to interact with Sauron with Saruman. Uh, there are just some. There are some great say, books I, in there. I have the I have the Sauron interaction plan for next session. So, <laughs> oh, you're wrapping up your game. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> They give you some really plausible reasons to go to Orthanc, uh, going to yeah. see the lore master, which I kind of feel like is kind of like going to see the wizard, which it is. Then once there, I mean, they give you a ton of options. And if your group is the kind of group who is okay playing with fire and realizing that their characters have no reason to mistrust Saruman, Yep. Uh, this can just lead to a ton of great role playing. If you were to, you know, you're you're using the magical weapon rules in uh, in Riv from Riv the Rivendell supplement, and you have somebody in your party who gets, you know, a weapon or a piece of armor with all of these, you know, magical virtues, and they've got to go see a lore master anyway. Not only not only can you know you accomplish that mechanical effect, but that's a great way to kind of you know, introduce Saruman to your campaign as maybe an ongoing patron slash antagonist. Um, plus, it gives your group a reason to chant, we're taking the weapons to Isengard, to Isengard, <laughs> to Isengard. Um, lore Masters, if you're listening, if, you're, if your fellowship does that, feel free to have them eaten by wargs on the borders of Isengard. Kill them all. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, well, wrapping things up, we have a couple of, we have a ton of new monsters uh, oh, that are just that are, let's can we each call out kind of yes let's do what, it uh calvin let's start with you what was kind of what was kind of your favorite um well since how you put me first i can uh probably steal thunder here from richard <laughs> when i say the bear dang it stone claws the bear yes stone uh, the bear i want that to be my new screen name for everything i can't <laughs> I can't tell you how badly. I just want to go change all of my screen names to every for everything to Stoneclaws the Bear. It's so good. Yes, Stoneclaws was just amazing, and uh, 
the the story behind him and then yeah just loved it all right richard you because you now have to pick something different those are the rules of the game I, that i just made up oh this is hard <laughs> dang it okay um if i if i if i can only pick one obviously going to be the great bore of everhold and the reason for that is because i was actually reading um some welsh poetry this morning and um, there are several large boars which feature quite prominently. In fact, this idea of going into the forest to to kill an immortal boar is um, it's a that's a very Welsh kind of a story. And um, and uh, in fact, usually the the boar has like grooming implements between its ears that you need to complete some abs- absurd grooming ritual for a giant's wedding. But anyway, um, probably don't do that in your tour campaign unless you want to, in which case it'd be awesome. But, uh, but I mean, going boar hunting, I mean, there's a whole, this whole adventure, I think like a whole adventuring phase going boar hunting. Um, you know, it, it's, it's good to remember this is the one ring, like all of your adventures don't have to be, we have to go get, we have to go get the widget and do the thing. Like, and they don't all have, you know, you can say, Hey, we're going to go hunting. And then the hunting gets dangerous. Like, you know, yeah. So I'm I'm gonna go with Great Boar of Everholt, who has great size, horrible strength, hideous toughness, and strike fear, which are all of my favorite uh, lore master character special abilities in a single monster. <laughs> <laughs> I feel sorry for your players. And and Ooh, a great shit. and a great store both both Stone Claws and uh, the Boar of Everholt have just fantastic background stories yeah. to weave into the game. Yeah. Um, mine, mine was a toss up, uh, but I said the rules of the game were only one. So I'm going to go with only one. I really, in the Fangor section, liked the region of, uh, Nan Mordeleb. And I like mm-hmm. the fungal trolls a lot. Um, these are trolls that have been infected with some sort of fungus from living in the darkest part of the forest. And, uh, they're a little bit squishier in the fact that they've got fungus on them and the fungus is squishy, but they're a very, they're a very tough fight. And I like the fungal or the foul reek ability. Do you think, think. do you think that the fungus, do you think that bothers the goblins that they live with at all? Do you think the goblins ever say things like there's a fungus among us? (sighs) Tonight's puns brought to you (laughs) by stone claws, the bear. Um, (laughs) Yes. Um, I will also say, uh, just as like, since since the since the game is over and there are no more rules, um, the pale ones are super fun. Why? Because they have poison arrows, like and, terrible hallucinogenic poison arrows. You can you can bet your furry little hobbit feet that hallucinogenic poison arrows are are in my game now. Like I'm I'm looking at the pale ones and I'm like, oh, they obviously. There's a tribe of these dudes in the heart of Mirkwood. Like, there's no question. Well, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, and let's just be honest. You also get stats for Hurons and the Dead Men uh, of Dunharrow. Oh, yes, yes. Do so, stats. Well, uh, wrapping up the supplement, you have some great rules for horses just in general. Mounted combat, acquiring, buying, using horses in the game. And then I assume, you know, you kind of assume that, okay, I'm going to get... Rohirrim as a heroic culture. And we'll be discussing the heroic cultures in their own show. But you also get men of Dunlin as a heroic culture. And they are heroic. 
I was really impressed, I think, more with the men of Dunland mechanically. Oh, well, the, the men of Dunland would be, I think, hard to play at first, but like in the long term, I think they can really bring mm-hmm. it. I will also just say the riding rules are amazing. So like the, there's a whole little table for different kinds of horses. I love stuff like that. And um, like the, the, the riding rules are in my Mirkwood game now, like as effective immediately. Like there is no reason you cannot use these writing rules in a non-Rohan game. Like they should apply to everything. So right, Calvin, what did you think of the heroic cultures? I think it would be a lot of fun to play uh, the Dunlanding. The, the Dunlanding. Easy for you to say. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, not really. No. Um, <laughs> uh, just because they would be so much of an outsider. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Reminds me almost of like the uh, Bjornings, um, but almost more so from the outsider standpoint. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think that could be a lot of fun. Yep. I uh, I came up with an idea for getting a Rohirrim uh, into a into a Mirkwood game uh, because I was like, well, how do I pull these in even sooner? Because I I don't feel I feel like, and Richard, you can kind of. Tell me what your thoughts on this are. I feel like the men of Dunlin and the Rohirrim are on par with the cultures in uh, Mirkwood, not like the High Elves or the Rangers were. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing game breaking about them. Yeah. Um, um, we also, unless of course you go to the forums, <laughs> and we will be putting this in our show notes. Someone put up a Rohirrim. You know, you know, the One Ring is not necessarily a min max build style. RPG, like like we could say of some D20 games, um, like those that find paths. Um, yes. But somebody put up a build for it was the, the the forum title was best healer in the game, and they built a Rohirrim healer who, as the inspi- with the inspire battle action, can also attack and heal on average 12 points of endurance to everyone in the party pretty reliably let's talk about how awesome that is your group hasn't even figured out how to use the inspire battle Oh man okay i'm just gonna say this in case my group like somebody from my group decides to tune into this podcast which they really should be so that they would they would know what kind of things are in store for them seriously (laughs) inspire that's your healing like in battle seriously take that as a as a it's there i want you to use it okay anyway yeah yeah. Um, so kind of our final our final part of the show, and we've kind of hinted at it, is that woven throughout each of the each of the regions, and I do really mean woven. They're, they they are placed at key locations. They feel like they tie into the material you're reading. There are just a plethora of region specific hazards and region specific fellowship actions, and. I feel, I don't know why I felt like it stood out more to me in this supplement than in others, because I can remember them being in the other supplements, but it just felt like there was just a ton of great mechanical flavoring, not just in monsters, but also for journeys and fellowships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I will be, that that was my favorite part of this book was, all of the additional fellowship phase actions and hazards. Um, it's something that I really feel they 
could have put a lot more detail on in the main book. Yep. Um, and so reading these and seeing other things that they have put together, just having more examples to draw from makes it that much easier to come up with my own. I have a sort of a feeling that when they wrote the main book, the, the game, that they had no idea how amazing travel was going to be. Like what an important part of the game it was going to be in it, you know? And so something we've seen in each, each supplement that's come out increasingly, uh, we saw it in Rivendell and now in, in uh, Horse Wars of Rohan is just, just the, you know, a lot more thought is being put into when you're traveling in this area, how do the hazards in this area differ from hazards that you might've met in Mirkwood right. and uh, being really sensitive to that? It's not just a matter of, well, when they come across orcs, they're not coming across this type of orc. It's right. here are here are things that are mentioned in in the in the books that we can draw on to kind of really flavor the game. All right. So if you've made it to the end of this and you're listening to the show, I assume that you've already purchased Horse Lords of Rohan. <laughs> How could you not? <laughs> but if by some chance you're still like Oh, these guys just don't seem that excited about it, and I'm not sure whether I should get it. Um, we're each going to give you our reasons of why why someone should buy this. So, Callan, what what would you give as your main reasons to pick this book up? Just reiterating what reiterating what we just said about uh, the additional fellowship phase and hazards. Uh, they're huge. Um, mm-hmm. Just hugely helpful and the npcs just some again whether you use them as is or you just use them as ideas for other npcs they're just so well fleshed out that just gives you some really good ideas of how to put together somebody that would be memorable in this world yeah awesome richard Stone Claws the Bear. <laughs> That's um, fair. But but also also I'll put a mic um, drop sound in there for you. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Um Stone Claws the Bear, but also um there's a ton of stuff in the supplement that even if you're not running a Rohan game tomorrow, but you are running Darkening Mirkwood or you're running Runes of the North or whatever, there, there's a ton of stuff in here that that will benefit your game immediately, regardless of where you're playing. Yeah. And um, you know, writing mechanics, mounted combat, uh, which is really elegantly done, I think. Uh, and 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 also, you know, some of the fellowship and, and hazard options. I mean, this is stuff that that's gonna, and, and it's just it's a really well written book. So there you go. Um, in just echoing off of all, you know, I would echo all of your guys' statements, and then. You know, the more we've talked about it here, I'm going to actually say that uh, my top two selling points are, one, it gives you a whole region for, you know, this this supplement gives you enough material to run multiple campaigns oh, yeah. in a non-Merkwood setting. So yep. if you've been playing since it's come out and you're like, I really I need something else, look here. But also... I think that the Your Middle Earth Will Vary call-out boxes may be a feature and not a bug. And I realize it, at yeah. different points it has rubbed different different 
ones of us, you know, the wrong way. But it really kind of serves as a guideline for new and even experienced lore masters to say, hey, here's a here's a key point in canon. What would it look like if I allowed my players to change it? Right. And so it kind of provides it provides at least a door to step through to kind of see where you could go off canon. And so, and you know, you know, Jay, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here looking behind me at the, you know, history of middle earth, which is 12 volumes in an index of Tolkien constantly revising and contradicting himself. Um, I think, I think it's much more important that you are really faithful to the flavor and the spirit of what Tolkien is doing in his fiction than honing exactly to the details. Um, yeah, I will borrow, but, um, but yeah, I, uh, I, I can't wait for you to play in my one ring game where, uh, Treebeard is the person who imprisoned Gandalf and not Saruman. That would be excellent. I will, wow. be playing a, I will be playing a stone claws, the bear. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, if you need to really set the mood for stone claws, we give you permission to just have him, uh, just play that section of Anglo-Saxon poetry that Richard read at the beginning. And that yes. really, that really will just, uh, scare your players. Yes. Um, any final thoughts, gentlemen? Uh, it's a really pretty book. I know we mentioned not a lot of art. Um, there is, there's actually a fair amount of like, look like um but something i was just noticing as i'm sitting here looking at it as we're talking is if you know that along the tops of all the pages there's a little runner and uh, as there is in all one ring books but the runner here uses horses in some very emblematic ways that you know that's that feel appropriate for the horse lords of rohan and honestly that's just that is a really pretty little touch it's not something they had to do and um Anyway, it's a very pretty book, and I mean, I don't know about you guys, but the part of the Lord of the Rings I always look forward to every year as I'm reading through it again is getting to Rohan. Like, for me, Rohan is where it is at. You have been listening to The One Podcast. You can contact us with your questions and comments at theoneringpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Google Plus as The One Ring Podcast or on Twitter at The One Podcast. Thank you for listening.